0: Head to com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But, you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you, and allow us to keep having these great
1: discussions. In Season 3, we covered even more great adaptations, like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series.
0: We talked about No Country for Old
1: Men. The Coen Brothers so rarely adapt to someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations, like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book.
0: In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know.
1: Maybe. We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There.
0: Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself.
1: <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor. Because his chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump, adapted from Winston Groom's novel. Plus, Apollo 13, based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell.
0: And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief all based on
1: books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreal.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game, video game. (laughs) You bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source. Just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast.
0: Check out the full list at thenextreal.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. a big, fat, dopey McGillicuddy on me.
1: McGillicuddy?
0: Hmm. What is a McGillicuddy? It's a good
1: Irish band. (laughs) Is that what it is? I'm sorry, what? Is that a Mac or a Muck? Are we we starting? I thought we did. (laughs) (laughs) I never know.
0: Oh, my podcast with (laughs) Andre. You know what I'm doing right now? Tell me. I'm eating dinner. Are you eating dinner? (laughs) Clink. Uh, do you have a, a, sort of omniscient, uh, lurking waiter always around you <laughs> There you go. Do you want to hear uh, how I really feel? I mean, really, do you want to know what I really feel?
1: No, I don't. Hungry. I really don't. I'm really just hungry. That's all. All I got was this little tiny quail. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> come on. At least I got some amaretto. Hey, tell me how your week was.
0: Did you have an okay one? yeah yeah
1: i did did you You see anything i was on i was on the the stomach virus diet oh lost a few pounds huh i did between that and then i decided to do a detox the same week well that's (laughs) that's uh timing i lost 12 pounds in a week you did not 12 pounds (laughs) i did i did son that's what happens when you uh when the virus when a virus attacks
0: i don't think that's good no, you, know what, think, you know what? You know what the problem is I... now.
1: The problem is your gut
0: flora. Mm, well, I was taking probiotics. There I you did. go. Yeah, it's yeah. about the. It's all about the gut flora. You want to be sprouting just the right things in there. The flora, uh, some, I, the I fauna. Think, I'm not sure if gut flora. <laughs> it's all about the gut flora, and then you you get a little little oh. gut herbivores <laughs> that are eaten by the gut carnivores. It's wow. a it's
1: a gut ecosystem. I'm not kidding. It's a that's real. It's like all men in black. It's like you zoom in and there's a whole little universe in there.
0: That's the truth. You know
1: what they're dealing with? I don't know if I want to (laughs) know. Climate
0: change. (laughs) Oh, yeah, clearly. Some of them don't even believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no. Yeah. Hey, uh, that was a good talk. We should do that one again. Um, Every week. (laughs) Let's tell the people where we're
1: from. Absolutely.
0: next reel. Uh, you know what? I'm glad you came by. I'm Pete Wright. That's Andy Nelson. Howdy doody. And we spoil movies. Uh, and uh, we're going to do it again tonight. Because uh, we just can't stop we ourselves. Can't we just can't get enough. Uh, so uh, here's the thing. You can go to the website at nextreel.com You can uh, catch up with all of the past shows that we have ever done. You can subscribe to the show in iTunes. You know, Just search for The Next Reel. It'll pop right up. And while you're there, leave us a comment. And, uh, you know, five stars or so if you've got to laying around. We deeply appreciate that. It's kind of
1: like sending us flowers. It's, it is just like that.
0: Much less expensive. And we and, don't
1: have to deal with our allergies.
0: And totally, yeah, it's good for the environment and our gut flora.
1: <laughs> That's right.
0: Hey, uh, and you know, uh, then you can join us with a, a, in our conversation that uh, goes on uh, online, on the website, leave us comments, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, share your favorites on, uh, oh gosh, we're everywhere, right? Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, holy smokes. Instagram, Google Plus. Oh, bring it home. All over the place. Hey, you know, how are we doing on the Ben Lott score? Well, I, you know, I... I think we got hosed this week,
1: both you I, and me I, together. I think it was. I think it was a double loss. I think it, he was not so thrilled after having a great experience with Das Boat. I know. I, I think that uh, uh, he, friend of the show not, Ben Lot, was not amused. Was not so thrilled with this no. game from New York. Although at least, at least uh, I, I think he enjoyed our comments about it. The fact that it wasn't number one on our list. <laughs> <laughs> That we mostly agreed. It's a terrible <laughs> movie. I think the problem is he got
0: sounds like less joy out of it than we did.
1: Yeah, this is one of those movies I think it uh it 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 hits you depending on when you saw it in your life. And That's if you saw truth. it at the right age where you could enjoy something like that. And even though now I it looks like junk. Oh, it's uh, a terrible film. <laughs> it
0: really terrible is.
1: film. <laughs> it really is. All
0: right, let's uh you know, let's move on to the, the big news of the week. How mm. did we do in the outsmarted Instagram <laughs> pony prize Steve Smart versus the people Instagram guess the movie challenge
1: It was a it was a rough and tumble week it do, really was do there tell. were uh... There were a lot of guesses all over the place. This was uh, clearly a movie that nobody could quite identify, but they all tried, which is great. There was all sorts of guesses, and it was a lot of fun seeing the different guesses and the different paths. People went down, and somebody would say, like, Zoe Saldana came up, and all of a sudden, people seemed to latch onto that and started naming all of any Zoe Saldana movie they could think of that <laughs> it might be. So it was, it was quite fr- fun to see. Uh, but yeah, it took all week. It took until uh, uh, today, day seven, to uh, to figure it out. And the movie was gridlocked, which is a great uh, late '90s movie uh, that Vonnie Curtis Hall directed with uh, none other than Tim Roth and uh, Tupac. You
0: know, i uh, I did not get I did not get it, uh, and it's, it's because I've never seen it. I, well, I'm not saying that. I did not get it, and I also have never seen it.
1: (laughs) There you go. It's one of those movies that uh, it kind of disappeared. It was in the indie circles back in in the late 90s, and I saw it, and I thought it was just a fantastic and interesting indie film. I really enjoyed it. And then I kind of forgot about it, and, uh, you know, as I was talking to old Smarty Pants Steve, um, I mentioned it, and, uh, yeah, he thought it might be a fun one to try out, and uh, there it was. Well, I'm glad you did it.
0: That's a good one. That's Indeed. a good one. I, uh, you know, and so who, wait, who did, did you say who won already? Oh,
1: Cameron L. Ryan.
0: Okay, so, uh, you know, I'm working, what I'm working on, thanks to, I think, was it Steve's idea or yours? I think it was Steven's idea. Steven's idea. Uh, I'm I'm working on a leaderboard.
1: It's do you, know, do you know what a leaderboard is? I I, I bet it's not an L I T E R board. A leader, it is ex <laughs> <laughs> a board that <laughs> comes in right at a leader.
0: <laughs> that's dumb. No, that was, <laughs> it's a leaderboard such that in a way that we can actually start keeping score of uh, you know who's ahead in the game. The Pony Prize. Very yeah, excited
1: for this. It is going to be exciting. Don't
0: know where it's going to be yet. Don't know if it's going to be over on Facebook or on the website or da- I don't know. I don't. I don't know. It's the whims of, of uh, the internet. That's where we are.
1: Mm, like sands in the like hourglass. <laughs> <laughs>
0: don't, please don't go there. That's like. <laughs> can I tell you? I was a big, big fan of uh, when I was. I don't know. I, my babysitter, I think, when I was a young teen. Got me into uh, As the World Turns, Guiding Light, and General Hospital. I'm not yeah. kidding. This was my the... got, really? got me
1: sucked into the Young and the Restless. <laughs> oh.
0: No, for me it was all about Luke and Laura. Oh, oh. the Luke and Laura saga. That oh. this was when Luke had like Kenny G hair.
1: Man, I think everybody had
0: Kenny G hair back then. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh yes, good time. Uh, Hey, uh, let's do trailers.
1: I want to go first, can I? You can go first. I will let you. I'm going to name you. I'm going to say a name you with firstness.
0: (laughs) (laughs) stop lisping. I am going to name an actor. I want you to tell me the first movie you think of that he was in. Brendan Gleeson. Go.
1: Uh, Harry Potter, and uh
0: fourth one <laughs> that was not the best of the books it
1: was <laughs> jk rowling just runs yeah. out
0: of steam can't name it <laughs> uh, <laughs> harry potter and the fourth one
1: uh,
0: <laughs> harry potter looks under some stones <laughs> hey no yes he was he was mad Eye moody give me another one come on that was low-hanging fruit uh
1: he was in a uh, 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 I uh in Bruges. Yes,
0: that one was a big favorite of mine. Uh he was in uh wow, 87 other things.
1: Yeah, there's a really great one that I'm completely forgetting. The he Smurfs in, too. Uh, I think the first thing I saw him in was Braveheart, but um And the Smurfs too. <laughs> of course. Yeah, I was going to say that.
0: Like The Smurfs too. He was <laughs> in uh, uh the uh it was uh let's see. He was in Oh, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Well, he was in Troy. <laughs> Gangs of New York. Uh, there's another one. He was in uh, uh, what was the one that I'm I'm thinking of? One too. It was you the company do, you keep. Was it the the general? Albert Nobbs. You were a big fan of Albert Nobbs, right?
1: I didn't see Albert Albert Nobbs. You
0: did too.
1: Nope. Liar. <laughs> I did. not
0: You didn't see Albert Nobbs with the you know the Glenn Close dressed as a man.
1: Nope. That's how the trailer.
0: Does that count? Did you see it enough times to count as a movie? <laughs> Hmm. Maybe half movie I'm talking about tonight is Cavalry. I am looking forward to this film. This one has uh uh Brendan Gleeson. I
1: think is it Cavalry or Calvary? Ca-
0: oh, God, this is like nuclear nuclear nuclear. <laughs> well,
1: I can't say that wrong. <laughs> Calvary.
0: It is Calvary. I'm a dope. That'll get me in trouble. I'm getting emailed on that. Calvary, thank you cuz it's not cavalry it's <laughs> not wartime. very different things <laughs> oh tongue so anyhow uh brandon gleason plays a priest in uh, i'm saying uh, ireland probably i'm saying ireland and uh it, it's a who done it somebody comes to confessional and says that uh he says i'm going to kill you father and uh, now the rest of the movie is uh it's about Brendan Gleeson trying to figure out who's going to kill him before he's killed. Dun, dun, dun. I think it looks great. I'm very excited about this film, and uh, uh, I it it just uh, I think it looks really uh, fun. Aidan Gillen is in it. Aiden Gillen is an, an actor who is uh, most recently, for the last at least four years, known uh, in um, you know Game of Thrones oh, as that's Littlefinger. That's awesome. Peter Baelish. So, uh, anyway, he's been in a lot of stuff. Very much looking forward to seeing these guys on screen. I'm very excited for this this film, and it hits uh, it hits uh, August 1st, it looks like,
1: USA. And Chris O'Dowd is in it. Yes, Chris O'Dowd is in it. Well, I, I quite enjoy. He's quite a funny fella. He's <laughs> <It's> very funny. <laughs> and a really old M. M at Walsh. Yes, that is true, too. I should have said that. He is quite
0: aged. Aged, days. yeah. Mm-hmm cool all right i didn't you know i didn't actually say this is uh written and directed by john michael mcdonough and uh you know i have not seen uh i think anything else that john michael mcdonough has done
1: um well i know he worked on uh the guard with brendan gleason and uh it's supposed to be quite good although i never got around to seeing it What
0: about uh that ned kelly did you see the ned kelly
1: i did not see ned kelly i
0: didn't see that either that was a Heath Ledger, Orlando Bloom, Jeffrey Rush. I mean, hell of a cast mm-hmm. is all I'm saying. I hear you. Yeah. All
1: right, what's yours? Mine is The Homesman, Tommy Lee Jones' new film. This is, uh, you know, he's directed a few films and uh, The Three Burials of Melchiati's Estrada is one of my faves. I just love the film. I think it's just a really, a really amazing story. And uh, The Homesman is only his second Uh, theatrical film. The other two movies that he directed, The Good Old Boys and the Sunset Limited, were uh, TV movies. So this is another one up on the big screen. And it's a Western, which uh, I just really, uh, I really enjoy him in Westerns. He's one of those actors that looks great in Westerns. And uh, this one is uh, with Hilary Swank, who is a, a pioneer woman who saves him and then um she's going to escort three insane women from one state to another and uh as part of his uh deal of saving him he says he'll do anything and so she asks him to help her escort these women and uh, it looks like a really interesting western a very kind of haunting look to it with you know traveling with insane women you've got People in the planes that you don't want to deal with, whether they're crazies who want to kill you or uh, the Native Americans or just other people who just don't want you around because you are carrying crazy people. It looks like a really interesting film. And there's something about Tommy Lee Jones as an actor and Tommy Lee Jones as a director that I really enjoy. And so, yeah, this is I am just really looking forward to this one.
0: I, uh, You know, I was already looking forward to it. And then, because the trailer, you know, we don't see sort of the breadth of the cast, uh, but, wow, uh, from, uh, let's see, Miranda Otto, uh, John Lithgow, James Spader, uh, I'll bet he plays somebody weird and kind of (laughs) mean.
1: With Uh, the name Aloysius.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right? Uh, William Fitchner. Oh, William Fitchner. Uh, yes. Jesse Plemons, Breaking Bad. Uh, uh, Evan Jones, Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld, speaking of westerns, yeah. man, did she just steal it in True Grit. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Meryl Streep uh, right. is in this film. I, it just looks like uh, a great cast, a, a surprisingly great cast for a really modest trailer. Uh, and it and looks
1: creepy creepy Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> as As the freighter. As the guy who uh, seems to want to kill him, so well, he is—he
0: uh, is a creepy guy.
1: He is. He definitely is. Wow. Yeah, it looks good. And then uh, also Grace Gummer is in it. Who, uh, gosh, what was she just in? She was in uh, Francis Ha, Margin Call, Larry Crown. She's another one of those people who kind of keeps popping up. Yeah,
0: truly, truly. This so looks it's, like uh, this looks like a, uh, it's going to be a great film. Yeah. I think. I My think money's on looks,
1: great. I think it looks fantastic. I cannot wait to see it. And uh, when is it opening? I don't know if it, it says uh, May in the trailer, but it does have oh, French It does have French credits on the trailer, so that might be <laughs> opening May in France. In it's, France. Right now, it looks like uh, it's going to be opening. Know, it'll be playing at the Telluride Film Festival later this summer, and then it looks like October is when it's going to be released.
0: All right, I can wait. Well,
1: I'll. Have I'm, to do, gonna hold but I, on. I'm gonna hold. I'm gonna because I definitely want to see it.
0: Yep, looks great. All right, shall we? Uh, shall we dine? I think if you could become fully aware of what existed in the cigar store next door to this restaurant, I think it would just blow your brains out a real relationship with a person that goes on for years, well, that's completely unpredictable. See, that's why I think that people have affairs. Oh, Andrew. What have we taken on with My Dinner with Andre?
1: (laughs) This one can really go in two different directions.
0: (laughs) We are continuing our 1981 series. Uh, films, I I don't even know, I I think it's fair to say, films that interest us for some reason or another that were made and released in 1981. Yes, I think that's fair to say. That are not Raiders (laughs) of the Lost Ark. Right. (laughs) Uh, And, you know we've we have sort of a mixed um, uh, mixed history. Of course, we we started. Uh, what did we start with? We started with uh, we started uh, with Dustboat. Dustboat, right? So it's fairly recently, uh, which was uh, I, I think uh, we liked that. Uh, yep. We then went uh, straight downhill with Escape from New York last <laughs> week, and now we're hitting uh one of the I, I think riskiest films certainly of uh possibly the decade uh in terms of uh a piece made for a visual medium yes and uh, that is my dinner with andre louis Malle's my dinner with andre written and and uh, written by wallace sean and andre gregory uh directed by louis mal how did it uh, how did it hold up for you
1: you know let me me, i
0: want to ask a different question i haven't asked this question in about a hundred episodes andy why is my dinner with andre an important film well
1: that's that might be I guess an easier one to start with i don't know what's easier really with this film uh, this is a film that's, uh, I think, important because of uh, the nature of the film itself, and I think it's just a film that, you know, I don't know, it introduced people to a, maybe a different type of storytelling in which, I mean, it really feels almost like a just a, a two-person play of two people just talking to each other about all sorts of things that kind of becomes, it unfolds and becomes, you know, a a conversation about, in a way, kind of life, the universe, and everything. And I, I think uh, I think Roger Ebert, um, you know, he summed it up pretty well. Um, he wrote about this in, in one of his uh, great movies review. He said, someone asked me the other day if I could name a movie that was entirely devoid of cliches. I thought for a moment, then answered, my dinner with Andre. I I think that in a way kind of sums it up. It's not a movie of cliches. It's not a movie that we had seen before. It's this conversation between two people that feels like, honestly, it kind of feels like uh, these two people who know each other um, just happened to go have dinner and Louis Maul, the film director, just happened to be there with his cameras and decided to film it. And it's a very interesting type of filmmaking that really has uh, kind of hit people in a different way uh depending on on how you see it and what you think of it and it's a film that you can look at and um if you're really into it and you're really interested in listening to this conversation, it becomes something that um is uh kind of a a very interesting philosophical study of of uh you know what it means to uh to live and what it means to uh, to just be um, if you aren't really getting into it, it can come across as just a very pretentious uh, piece of, uh, uh, you know, obnoxiousness as you listen to these uh, two people prattle on. And, uh, you know, I think it's just an important film because it just showed people a kind of a different type of filmmaking back in 1981.
0: Uh, have you ever uh, directed anything quite like this?
1: Nope. Fair to say I have not. Hmm.
0: I, you know, I didn't like it uh, when I first saw it, mm-hmm. uh, and it would have been, I did not see it when it came out in 1981, and, um, you know, it, it's a fascinating kind of release, and and I, I think it's fair to say, I mean, a film stayed in theaters longer then, but this film stayed in the theaters for a year, uh, thanks, you know, according to... Sean and Gregory, thanks very much to the uh, boosterism of Roger Ebert, and Gene Siskel, and um, so it was around a long time. I did not see it when it first hit the theaters. I was I was too young for that, but I saw it, you know, several, probably a decade later. And I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't understand it. I didn't have the patience. I certainly didn't have the patience for it. Um, and that was the last time I I watched it. So I was nervous when we put it on the list. Mm-hmm. I felt sort of like we had to put it on the list, but I couldn't really articulate why. <laughs> um, and and so I, I finally sat down to uh, to watch it this week, and I found myself really moved by it. Is that fair? I mean, uh, uh, did it hit
1: you well? It hit me. I, I feel the opposite. <laughs> really? It hit me a lot better the first time I watched it. I felt a lot more moved um, the first time I watched I really enjoyed the story. I enjoyed the conversation between the two men. I enjoyed really everything about it, and I really connected with their conversation. And this time when I watched it, not to say that I didn't enjoy it, just to say that I found it harder to watch, and I actually, um, this is one of those films that it's really bad to fall asleep in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because oh, yeah. when you go back to figure out where you were, it's like, oh wait, it's them talk. Oh no, wait, they're still just they're talking. Still talking. Damn it, yeah. when did I when did I fall asleep? Uh, it was really hard to to do, and so I I finally muddled my way through it. But it was it just took me a long time. I really had a hard time getting into it this time. I mean, I still enjoyed it. I enjoyed the nature of the way the film was made and the way that they have this conversation. Um, I just yeah, it was just really hard for me to connect to this time. Wow. See that
0: that kind of blows one of my theories about the film that it's another one of those men of a certain age films, Mm. Uh, but you and I are both of the same certain age, and so clearly (laughs) that's shot to (laughs) forget
1: that idea.
0: I'll tell you why I why I I love what they did in this film. Uh, First of all, it's a it is a film that is fundamentally about fear. And it's about how these two guys take their representative approach to fear. Uh, you know, Andre Gregory has uh, his character. And and we should say that both of these actors have t- gone to great pain saying that they are not really playing themselves uh, in this film. They are, you know, playing characters that also happen to be named Wallace Shawn and Andre Gregory, which, you know, is interesting. And it, it's an ironic sort of snub that they're making a film that is so well uh adapted for a stage presentation but was never read as a stage presentation it was it was created as a film i mean it is just two guys sitting down for dinner but i find uh you know i find it interesting because of the way they deal this film deals with fear, right? And, and how that fear is manifested in, um, you know, the, the daily struggles of these two guys of, uh, you know, sort of the curse of privilege, uh, you know, in, in both cases, they are struggling artists, struggling takes on slightly different meanings for each of them, but they are, they're struggling in their own way. Uh, and, I found myself really moved by how pertinent the film is today uh, because it, it's easy. And, and in a lot of the reviews and the write-ups I've read, and the, the little snippet reviews that, that people like to toss out on the Internet, they're, they're all about, uh, oh, my gosh, this, this is a film of two guys who talk about the big questions, right? Why am I here? What is the meaning of life? And sure, I mean, I guess you could find those things in there. It's, that's definitely in there. But I think what is, uh, I think more important for me is how the film deals with the little sort of quiet uh, bits of importance. Um, the fear of technology, right? The fear of, I mean, they go into, uh, Gregory goes into this, this uh, discussion about the, why he would never put an electric blanket on. And with, you know, substitute just about any piece of contemporary technology with electric blanket. And you have the contemporary argument against technology. I found that fascinating. Fear of being discovered as a fraud, right? Their their discussion about how they behave at parties and how Wally Shawn's, uh, you know, feels that he is treated like a dog, even though he was tre- a teacher of Latin uh, in a school. When people find out he's a teacher, he's treated like a dog. Um, fear of success, fear of intimacy. Uh, you know, I I think that this film, um, in in a A surprisingly authentic conversation allows us to examine um, the way we think about how we live in these day-to-day bits of pressure. Not the the biggest questions, but the little questions about how we approach these kinds of social situations and and relationship situations in a way that that really, I, I think, worked for me this time. Uh, it, it it's, uh, I, w- you know, Wally Sean said, um, in there, there's a series of interviews I should say on YouTube that, uh, with, uh, that, a, I guess a filmmaker had done. I'm having trouble figuring out the, um, where these films cropped up, but they're interviews, three-part interviews with Wally Sean and uh, with Andre Gregory done separately, uh, six total interviews about, their perspectives on, on my dinner with Andre. Are they
1: recent or were they no, done? They are they're,
0: they're, They weren't done then. They were done clearly many years after the film was made. Uh, but they're, they're not, um, it, it's, it, I, I don't Like I said, I don't have a date, but they look old. Okay. But it's the not actors, the Noah Baumbach
1: ones. Cause Noah, Noah Baumbach did a series of interviews with them. I, for... I don't
0: know because on YouTube, they're not, um, they're not credited. Gotcha. So I, I don't know. Um, Possibly the Noah Bombach ones, but uh, I've seen Sean say the same thing several times, which is that you know he said he wants to destroy the guy that he plays Mm -hmm. to any extent that there was any of me there, that he wants to kill that side of himself by making this film, uh, because that guy's totally motivated by fear. And it gets back to fear, right? Because you can see, and and Sean plays this, I think, really well. I'm going on way too long. I'm going to let you talk in a minute. Uh, I think he plays this really, really well. How he handles fear, not only in his reaction to what Gregory is telling him, but but these little nuances of his performance about how, you know when he chooses to speak and how he is able to speak and what words he's able to conjure uh, as a result of his reaction to uh, you know these fantastical stories that he's hearing from Gregory. Uh, and and Gregory, to the same extent, was in a period of of great sort of. He, he he was a very low point in his life, and he gave in to that fear and ended up, you know, in these ceremonial sort of ritual burials, you know, having himself buried and having dirt shoveled on him. I mean, these stories about how he how he conquered his fear, uh, and and so the film is really about how these two guys their approach to living with these daily stresses, and and uh, I I found it really quite touching.
1: Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you. And I, I think the the nature of that, uh, of those elements in the story are very fascinating. And I actually really do like the way that they play with that and how at the beginning, uh, Wallace is very kind of closed off and almost unwilling to talk about stuff you know uh, as he said he's kind of just not the conversationalist and andre clearly is the conversationalist Um, he's like uh, medicated uh, but uh, yeah exactly but but and even andre points out like there's that one point where he talks about how he went to talk to one of his friends and they talked from midnight to 11 the next day and wally wally was like geez, what did you guys talk about? Or what did he say? He's like, he didn't say anything. I talked the whole time. <laughs> it's like, I'm not surprised <laughs> because that makes perfect sense coming from you. So it's interesting how how over the course of this film um, in their lives, Wally kind of goes from a place where he is a little more reserved and and doesn't want to be the one who talks to actually, and it all seems to hit right around the electric blanket conversation. He starts coming out of his shell and actually starts opening up and revealing some stuff, and then finally he gets to the point where he's actually, in a way, kind of um, offering up his own opinions on the stuff that Andre was uh, was talking about. And Andre finally gets to a place where he's actually able to start listening, and it's it's kind of an interesting move over the course of the film with these two people and how they kind of how uh, they how that element gets shaped over the course of the story and these characters in a way you kind of see that growth and i like the nature of how they uh, how it is looking at fear and i do find it really interesting that at the very beginning of the film when they uh meet at the restaurant how um wallace looks at andre and he's just like oh you look terrific and andre's like oh i feel terrible right and and then Andre goes on to tell just just these amazing adventures, uh, stories of all these adventures that he had been on. And I, I it always strikes me uh, seeing the film when you know he's telling these amazing stories, but here's a guy who's talking about how miserable he is and how how he's just you know he is struggling trying to be happy with anything. And then on the flip side of the coin is Andre, I mean is Wallace, who is seems perfectly content in his life and he's happy he's kind of got his own little thing that he's doing he kind of rattles off at the beginning his his life as a playwright and it kind of gives you the kind of the breakdown of his day i had to wake up at 10 this morning because i had to you know go make go make some phone calls or whatever and, you know it's, it's, <laughs> so he kind of gives he gives his breakdown of his life and even at the electric blanket part of this of the film when when Andre is really kind of saying how bad they are and how it's, it's really kind of a a tranquilizer and it's just, you know, taking you out of living life and Wally argues for it and why it's important and why it's a comfort. And, and you get these two kind of bourgeois people talking about um, the nature of their lives and Wally views his life as comfortable and Andre views his life as miserable um, and, but on, uh, Andre is the one who has all these fantastic adventures and Wallace is the one who's not really doing any adventures. So it's such an interesting perspective on their two lives and how in a way it is about, it, it, you know, the fear in life and, and like you were saying, but it's, it's how you take things out of your life and, and your perspective on what you're living that ends up creating those fears that that you're dealing with and Wally starts kind of hitting hitting some of his fears as you start moving on and those things he does, he's afraid of those silences he that's why he likes to be you know reading a book or doing something whereas Andre his fear is not feeling like he's living and so it is a very interesting um look at fear and the way people live and how People who, I mean, if if they swapped lives, they would be miserable. But um, uh, but then again, Andre says he's miserable miserable right now, even though he's been doing all this amazing exploration. And I couldn't help but thinking how interesting it was that we uh, started talking about this particular film just a few films after The Matrix because it felt very matrix like how these were two people where andre was somebody who is really convinced that there was this matrix and he's trying to break out of it because he feels that something's wrong in his life and he's trying to find the truth you know and he's exactly. trying to get get into it and what it what really is going on and then there's wally who's really just that guy who's content to be living it and doesn't want to you know rock the boat
0: right right i you know i think you're exactly right and i think that's what makes this this film sort of interesting now I, you know where where it takes its its risk is that it's telling its story by telling us its story yeah. right and and so it this film is uh the cardinal sin of cinema right, right. it's just it's just, it's just It's just 111 minutes of the cardinal sin of cinema. All Uh,
1: exposition with no, uh, it's like, you know, the rule is always show, don't tell. and This is all telling.
0: Is that why the film works? Because it is so grandiose in the way that it breaks this rule?
1: You know, that's that's an interesting perspective. And I think it may be right, um, because really, when you look at a film like this, it shouldn't work. It should not
0: work. That's right. We should not be having even a hint of of this conversation.
1: I, I think what happens is this is a, a film about this conversation uh, over dinner between uh, Wally and Andre that it actually is a really engrossing conversation to just be a part of and to listen to and to think about. And uh, it, it's it's – I, I, yeah, I think that's why um, it's noted as a, as a kind of a, an interesting film and a, a film to remember in the annals of cinema, because it is a film that by all rights shouldn't work, but does. Um,
0: and, and yet, uh, so, I, you know, and I, I guess I ask that as kind of a leading question. Because to me, uh, and, and this may be why I, I didn't like the film before. I certainly didn't appreciate, um, you know, what was going on on the screen. Uh, I think there are some really interesting things going on in the frame that keep the film sort of visually interesting. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, first of all, just in the way that these characters are sitting in the restaurant, uh, you know, they're they're sitting in such a way, and, and there's this sort of pedantic, or, or I, I would say, sort of pedestrian kind of uh, a visual pattern of the, you know, of the medium shot, two shot, reaction shot, right? It, it just it, it's a little bit mechanical at first, and then you realize there's there's some sort of uh, music to it. You know, I mean, you kind of get into the rhythm of it, and once you get into the rhythm of it, once you're able to see just how these two shots are articulated, just the way that when Wallace is speaking in a two shot, you can always see Andre's face in the mirror behind him, and it's it's close enough and clear enough that you actually get his reaction. It's almost more intimate because his face is so much closer to Wallace's in the frame uh, than even when they're in a, a, a two shot from Wallace's perspective. Uh, and then uh, the way the waiter interrupts at just the right moments and at the very climax of the film, when you have to assume that after two hours, all the p- the patrons have all left, which they admit to later, uh, you know, at, at the very moment of sort of Wallace's um, uh, kind of. Perceived awakening, or his greatest point of frustration. Uh, there's a siren. The only other kind of ambient sound is a siren outside the restaurant. No more clinking of dishes. I found myself really moved by those little moments uh, on screen. Cinematography was done by Jerry Sopenin, Uh mm. and I don't know. Uh, I, I had never heard of Jerry Soppanen.
1: I uh, hadn't either.
0: But I, I found it. Uh, I found it to be. Uh, much more of a dance than I had expected it to be. Just the, the, the visuals of it.
1: It is. And, and that's something that I found really fascinating watching this time was when did Louis Mall decide to uh, cut into a closer shot? When did he want to do a two shot? When did he feel uh, he really wanted to just single one face out when did he want to kind of widen it up and kind of show us a little bit more of the world and it was it was a very interesting dance and i i think uh, in particular it always strikes me and for some reason i don't know why but it always strikes me at the moment when andre is telling the story about his burial and that whole kind of halloween in montauk story um about how he was buried and resurrected and all that um And how the camera, at that point, comes into just really uh, a close-up of his face. And it holds on his face for pretty much that whole conversation, as I recall. Um, And you don't see anything else in the room. You don't see... Sometimes it's framed where you can see behind him where you see the waiter and the bartender and stuff like that. But in this particular case, it's framed in such a way where you only see the dark wall behind him. And... It really fits so much for the tone of that particular story. And that's the one moment in the film where I really just kind of everything for me focuses right into that moment. And I think the camera work works so brilliantly to help focus into that story. And it is a very interesting dance. And I, I, I do find that this is a film... Like I said, I didn't click with it this time, but it is a film that I find really fascinating in its construction. And it would be an interesting film to go back at and look at, like go break it down shot by shot and really kind of analyze how did he decide when he was going to cut to the two shot and the one and the single and why and try to explore what it was that he was uh, thinking okay what are we doing by cutting to the single in this particular shot we're focusing on this why when are we going to cut to the shot of Wallace with um, Andre's face in the mirror behind him and uh, when are we going to show the waiter and it's it's just a really interesting study in cinematography and editing and just really just filmmaking because it's all about where did he put the camera which lens did he put on to film the actor and that's something i found really fascinating this time watching it and it's one of those things i would i would love uh to hear uh, louis mall talk about that which unfortunately we can't because he passed away but I, i did find that just really fascinating this go around.
0: I agree with you. I didn't think this was going to be a, a, a cinematographer's film or an editor's film, but it, it the the complexity of telling the story, of letting these actors tell the story in a way that keeps us interested uh, for as long as they do, I think is uh, it's particularly artful. Yeah. Uh, the you know i i think it goes uh, some of this goes back to the construction of the the screenplay and and um the fact that even though this is one long conversation it it really is uh, i think a a film of and i say this with sort of air quotes scenes right you can sort of right. imagine uh watching this as a serial um, like if if this if my dinner with Andre were made today, it would be funded by YouTube, and we would get it in like you know twelve minute,
1: <laughs> right? Twelve minute shorts, and uh, uh, with a cliffhanger at the end of each one,
0: right? I mean, what, can't you see that? What is he that? about
1: to say now? Yeah,
0: right. Can't you see it? I mean, I yeah. I really can, and I, I I think that's a testament to um, how you know how well the the screenplay is is built around these stories, uh, that Andre Gregory is not just this sort of mindless, uh, on, on a mindless rant, uh, right. that, that he starts someplace and he ends someplace at the end of the film, and uh, the journey that he takes us to get there is full of very exciting moments and scary moments and confusing moments. And we go on this overall arc, and uh, Sean's role to react to it is is, uh, is what gives us that sort of punctuation, those breaks, uh, that breathing room, um, so we can let the moments sink in. Yep. Beautifully done. I I really think it's beautifully done.
1: Yeah, it really is. And it's a really interesting script, and it's an interesting way that this script came about, really. This was um, um, a—Andre and Wally had met each other, I think, about 10 years before the film met. And uh, Andre started working in—I mean, Wally started working in Andre's company— uh, theater company and they they just started having these conversations and it's, and a lot of these stories in the film are real stories um or at least based on real stories in andre's life he did go on some journeys and had some interesting experiences and some of those are in here what happened was the little um, the
0: little prince in the sahara with the yeah, japanese right. monk <laughs> Right,
1: I, I, I'm sure there's some uh, some interesting uh, elements from that that uh, weren't quite in his right. real right. experiences, but um, but yeah, for the most part, it really um, he, that's where the stories kind of came from, and the two of them uh, came up with this idea as they were having these conversations that this would be really interesting uh, to make as a movie, and I, you know, listening to Wallace Shawn talk about his plays that he used to write and his his sense of storytelling he does come across as a very avant-garde sort of storyteller it doesn't sound like anybody was ever interested in his um in his plays until um until Until andre Andre. and 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 they kind of clicked and um because he is just he is very avant-garde it sounds like which it, it strikes me as odd um because my the vast majority of my Wallace John experiences um, are Prince's Bride and on. Right. Uh, you know, I, I, don't rec- I don't think I'd seen quite as much of his earlier stuff. But um, so anyway, they started writing these uh, – they, they found these stories really interesting. They came up with this idea to make a movie. And so what they did is for – I can't remember how long they did this. But basically, they would get together like once a week – and sit down and they would have a conversation and every conversation would start with Andre telling one of his stories. And then that story would spin off into just a a conversation about whatever. Um, They got to a point where Wallace ended up transcribing every one of their conversations and it was like 1500 pages single spaced of like transcribed conversations and they whittled through it until they found the themes. I think he, they said it was like 80 different themes in all of these pages. So they whittled it down to just the themes that they were really interested in and um, then Wallace John set to work kind of crafting a script based on this and it ended up being about a three hour screenplay and which was obviously too long um but they both really liked it and and uh and that was kind of the the way that it was crafted so he took their conversations and these stories and he kind of morphed them into this tale between these two people having a conversation and that's where kind of the fictionalizing comes in of who they are and everything like that uh, which is really interesting and then and then louis mall kind of latched onto it I can't remember how he found uh he came across it was like a mutual friend or something and he loved it so he's another person who seems to fit that avant-garde mindset and he latched onto their uh the sense of storytelling and the and the story that they were telling and everything about it just really he connected with and um he said He called them up and he said, I want to direct this film. And if you don't think I'm the right director for this film, I want to produce this film. And if you don't think I'm the right uh, producer or director, then that's fine. But you have to get this made. And the only thing I would say is whatever you do, you have to make it exactly as is. You can't you can't cut away from the conversation. The The beauty of this film is it's all about the conversation, which is really interesting. And so that's kind of how the three of them ended up coming together to make this film. And then the three of them worked on cutting it down to a two hour script, which is essentially what they ended up making. But it's, it, you know, it's a really interesting way to kind of create this script based on these real conversations. And then they would like these two guys, they would just sit and they would rehearse it all the time. They would get together periodically and they would just go through the whole script basically kind of rehearsing it and they would play different roles like sometimes they would do it as if they're two gay lovers sometimes they would do it as if they're two prisoners in Alcatraz and and just kind of trying to find all the different tones and the levels of the film uh, or of the story that they could pull out and use as they as they did this and so you know it's it's a really interesting story and just the fact that they we're so dedicated to it. I think that is what makes it come through. And I think that's what makes it feel so authentic, because it's completely fictionalized and acted. But when you watch it, it really feels like you're watching a documentary of people having a conversation.
0: Oh, it truly does. And, and you know, to that point, it feels like it may be uh, one of the reasons that this film was... Uh, Not, you know, not received as universally uh, positively as it it maybe would have been. You know, it's definitely a critic favorite, not so much an an audience favorite. Uh, Partially because when you see these guys playing guys named after these guys, uh, it sure takes on uh, this sort of air of pomposity uh, that could be a turnoff.
1: Well, my wife walked in and she heard it for about ten minutes and goes, "Oh my God, this is so pretentious!" And she walked out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so,
0: so case in point, then
1: yep. it may be <laughs> accurate. <laughs> oh, you know, it's funny though. She heard Andre Gregory's voice on even just the uh, some of the, um, uh, the actually the conversation that I was watching of him with Noah Bombach that um, they did on the Criterion. Uh, disc a few years ago and even that she's like oh god it's just his voice his voice is just pretentious <laughs> his voice is New York <laughs> uh, uh, it, is, it is definitely a little more like hoity-toity New York well what's funny
0: about it you know at one point at, to, to your point about the way they kind of explored these characters and the different scenarios um, you know one of the things that I, uh, you know I think this was out of the Noah Bombach bit is that uh, you know while Sean says uh, you know no, we were not playing ourselves. And if we were to redo it, we we would switch characters just to, or switch parts just to prove it. Right. And I find myself thinking about that. Like, would the film take on a different kind of tone uh, if uh, Sean had been playing the character to go off on this sort of Bohemian Rhapsody? And, and I think that it would. And frankly, that's... That feels much more uh, as uh, like what I would expect of the film
1: well, it would definitely make for an interesting twist to the film i I have a hard time picturing it that way, but it, it would be interesting to see you don't have a problem you don't have a, a trouble e- expecting
0: Andre Gregory to be uh the the sort of buttoned up guy living in fear, uh totally unable to accept Wallace Shawn's bohemian exploits. <laughs> are you kidding me that's like hand to glove uh, i don't know i don't know all right fair <laughs> enough uh do you have anything i mean i feel like we could we could probably create a dinner with andre scale conversation about dinner with andre do you have anything else uh of the um that you would like to discuss on um, your list
1: Yeah, uh, just a few things. Um, I I did think it was funny. Andre was talking about um, how he ended up... He said it was very weird playing somebody who's kind of himself, but it's not himself, and it was kind of hard figuring out who he was after a while. But he said he ended up coming with four different voices of himself that he would actually use over the course of this. And knowing this now, I I think it would be interesting to try to try to find the different characters uh watching it because he says there's andre the peter Brook theater guru there's the andre the -the off-the-wall spacey dilettante rich kid which sounds like a great title (laughs) there's the andre spiritual used car salesman and then there's the andre who's the real sincere andre and he said he's the one who pops up later in the movie so I thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> how he kind of created these different versions of himself. Uh,
0: yeah, I really like that, and I the one I can totally resonate with is the the last one when you f- you can sort of feel Andre uh, kind of talking Sean down. Yeah, uh, that's right. that feels probably the, you know to his point the most authentic.
1: Well, and it's one of those No Country for Old Men conversations yeah. where it kind of like all of a sudden it ends, and I'm like, oh, I. Thought there was going to be a more definitive wrap up in the conversation. Um, uh, and so I actually went back and I watched the ending twice just to kind of hear their conversation. And it, it, it's, it's really I I do really like how how he does kind of bring it to a close. And, and it, it's there's something haunting, actually, about it. And it does leave it hanging, but it in a way where it. it feels like he's kind of put it at a place where it leaves you thinking about who they are, these ghosts and everything. And, and, you know, who are people and everything. And it's, it was, it's kind of an interesting, an interesting end. Yes.
0: Yeah. Particularly because it feels like the, the, um, like you've spent this, you know, two hours with these people and, you know, you've learned whatever lessons you've learned, but, you know, when you look for this point of transformation, Right, the big moment of transformation in, in the film. Uh it happens or it feels to me like it starts to happen after the, the bulk of the action of the film is over, after dinner. Uh right. It's it happens in voiceover mm-hmm. with Sean in the car talking about going and sharing this experience with his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I find that particularly interesting, that it's sort of the hero moment and it happens over the credits.
1: Well, and I think what it does, at least for me, is when when you have him kind of giving you that final voiceover as he, and, and also he's reflecting, he's looking out of the taxi window, looking at places uh, that are memories for him. Like that's where my father fit on fit me with my first suit, you know. And he's kind of hitting these memories as he kind of walks through the city. Which really, I don't know, it, mm. because he's so reflective right there. It, it you know, once that hits, I found myself very reflective of the film at that point.
0: Yes. Yeah, I agree. It sort of leads you out of the theater.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Puts you in an interesting headspace. Yeah, it sure does. Yeah. What else you got? Um it, it, it's funny this film was actually filmed in uh I think it was West Virginia, I think in Richmond. And it was in an old hotel that had closed and they were filming here um because they could get this restaurant there. And they were filming here because it was um, uh, winter and the the restaurant had no heat, so it was closed. And so it was freezing while they were filming this movie. And it was so cold that all the the crew basically were all bundled up while they were filming. And the actors, they had like long johns on and everything. And the, the most ironic part of the whole thing is that um Andre said that under the table he actually had an electric blanket on his lap.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would never
1: be caught with
0: an electric blanket.
1: <laughs> oh, it's just it's just too funny. That is so, funny. yep. Yeah. And then um the only other thing I wanted to talk about was I I I thought we should just uh uh just mention a little more about uh Louis Maul because I think he is a very interesting director. Um I haven't seen a lot of his films, but he is a director that um, there's something about the films of his that I've seen. I think I've only seen this Atlantic City and, um, or, or Damage, I think are the only films of his that I've seen. So I've missed you quite a few. You haven't
0: systems. seen Au Revoir les Enfants? I have not. Au Revoir les Enfants?
1: You say that so beautifully. No, you know,
0: <laughs> please, really. <laughs> uh, oh, stop. He, and, and he did, uh, he did Vanya on 42nd street. Right, right. Um. So, I, yeah, uh, okay. So, go ahead.
1: No, I, I, I think he's just an interesting director who uh, seems to tell films that are they feel um, told in a very straightforward way. Uh, there's not a lot of flash, but I think he just he has a style that feels very just direct, and that's something I noticed in all of the films of his that I've watched. These three. And um, like in Damage, there's something about it in the directness in that film that just really struck me. Uh, and it, it really, the, that film had some moments that just kind of really uh, affected me. And I, I find that in his films. I think there's something um, interesting about the way that he puts his films together that I do like quite a bit. And it, it makes me interested in going and watching more of them.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I I uh, Wow, that Damage.
1: Whew. Juliet, yeah.
0: Juliette Binoche. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! I, you know, I agree with you, and it's one of the things I think that may be so. Uh, um, why my dinner with Andre is is such a good fit for Louis Malle because it seems like it pulls back all of the things that he strives to portray in film, sort of his attention to the linearity of of the narrative, uh, and it it's just completely bare. Um, and, and that, that's what I, that's a feeling I was getting when I, I saw it and hearing you talk about it is this, this idea that, um, you know, this is, is, it may very well be kind of the piece that is the purest kind of cinema of Louis Malle um, and, and everything else has, is, is his attempt to strip down to something this kind of pure. Yeah. But again, yeah. I haven't seen enough uh, of his films either, um, but... Um, so We'll be talking about yeah, another we, one we soon enough. Be, we will, yeah.
1: That's the truth. Because <laughs> it was a busy year for him. Right. Yeah. Wow. Uh, okay. And then um, two quick things. One was, I thought, I, you know, considering our conversation last week about the interesting state of New York in 1981 uh, and how kind of dangerous it was... I thought it was just interesting. Like, that was the first thing that struck me when we see Wallace Shawn at the beginning of the film get onto the subway. And it is just trash. Wow. And there's graffiti everywhere. I'm like, oh, yes, this was that New York. Yes. <laughs> this was why I probably never would have got, gotten to go to that city back in 1981.
0: Oh, man, I had the exact same thought that this is, this is pretty grim.
1: And it's really struck me when they start talking about how, the you know, New York is a prison built by, you know, the, by, uh, by the inmates, by the, by the people. And yeah, by the inmates and how they're, uh, they just don't know how to escape anymore. And coming off of escape from New York, you know, that's something that uh, Stephen Smart had actually sent, uh, sent a little clip of that. And I, I thought that was a very funny connection between these two films. Truly. That's funny. And the last point that I have to make is I think one of the funniest things that have spun off of this film because there's plenty of parodies and homages in all sorts of different films uh and tv shows you know tv shows will have episodes named my dinner with so and so, right, right. Uh, you know, it's it's a very popular thing to spoof now. Even Pixar made their uh, a short film, uh, "The Adventures of Andre and Wally B," uh, one of their first films that they made. It's it's right. very one of those cultural things that people tap into. But I think my favorite by far is the fact that in Waiting for Guffman, uh, Christopher Guest's character um, Corky actually has some My Dinner with Andre action figures. <laughs> <laughs> I know Sorry. that is brilliant. Uh, and I just, oh, man, that is just one of the funniest things ever uh, because of all films, really? Action yeah. figures by Right. <laughs> uh, too good. Uh, too good. good.
0: I, you know, I think that you like this film more than you think you do.
1: I, I, I like it. I'm mm. not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying I just had a harder time getting through it this time. All but right. I do like it. I actually do like it. And actually, our You also had the stomach and, uh, flu. and uh, Yeah, that probably didn't help. But this is one of those films that I think... Having a conversation about it afterward actually does inspire more thought and interest in it. And so thank you, Pete. Thank hey, you. <laughs> thank you, Andre. <laughs> Thanks Are you for handy? getting me back. <laughs> oh. oh. That happened. That, uh, that, but... I haven't gone to, yeah. was it Foghorn? <laughs> <Or> fine horn. <laughs> Finehorn. Finehorn. <laughs>
0: Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Hey, this was this was very good. I uh, so let's talk a little bit about. Uh, do, did you were you able to track down any of the uh, dollars?
1: I could find very little as far as dollars. I did find some uh, grosses. I couldn't find anything regarding budget, but domestically, it looks like it grossed about five point two million um, back in nineteen eighty-one dollars, which is about thirteen and a half million uh, in today's dollars. And so, you know, it uh, it did, you know, I'm guessing it did pretty well for itself. I can't imagine that back in 1981 it would have cost more than five million to make this film. So, I have a feeling it made money. Uh, it's one of those kind of sleeper uh, art house things, and I, you know, I I think that my guess is it probably did okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it, it's yeah. All right, I don't need to belabor that point. Uh <laughs> all right. So let's uh, I say we flick chart it. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, so head over to flickchart.com com slash the next reel and uh you can uh you can check out our golden ticket list. Will my dinner with Andre break the top one hundred? Uh I'm I'm let's I'm nervous. Eat.
1: I, well, this is a film that I just I can't see myself putting on very often.
0: <laughs> yeah, above
1: <laughs> I'll be honest, almost any
0: other film. Yeah, that we've. I done. mean,
1: yeah, it's going to hit a point. I have a feeling where I think it'll be a better film than some of the films on the list, but I don't but know. if it's still not going to higher. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, right. let's go. My dinner with Andre or The Bourne Ultimatum. I'm going to go The Bourne Ultimatum <laughs> <laughs> <Him> too. <laughs> uh, my right. dinner with my dinner with Andre or Compulsion.
0: I would still go compulsion.
1: I would too. My dinner with Andre or Christmas in Connecticut. Connecticut.
0: Uh,
1: wow. I yeah. I'm gonna I on this oh, wow. I think I would do my dinner with Andre. Yeah. I, I feel like at least there's a little more meat. I mean I enjoyed Christmas in Connecticut. It's it's light and fluffy and inevitably i'd probably put it on more since it is a holiday film yeah but i just feel like i, I but would any probably get other time of year yeah there's not a lot of reason to put that one on otherwise i this i i would go with you on my dinner with andre all right uh interesting my dinner with andre or the african queen oh that one hasn't popped up in a while
0: yeah the african queen
1: yeah i think you're right my Dinner with Andre, or 2004's Dawn of the Dead.
0: Dawn of the Dead, what?
1: Uh, see, this is one where <laughs> quality film over <laughs> over that Dawn I enjoy of the watching. <laughs> and Dawn of the Dead wins. <laughs> uh, My Dinner with Andre, oh, this will be interesting, or The Day of the Locust. Oh, I actually wow. would pick Day of the Locust because uh, they're both films that Make me think and put me in kind of a different place, but man, is the Day of the Locust just trippy and whacked out? And there's something really kind of visceral and enjoyable about that. <laughs> I love watching kids get bludgeoned.
0: <laughs> Yeehaw! You're, you're a horrible human being. Um, wow, that was a tough one to get through. Day of the Locust. I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with you on that, but I feel like I'm doing so under
1: some, some sort of duress. <laughs> even though there was no arm-twisting <laughs> time. My Dinner with Andre or Major League? Oh, really? See, this is one where I feel like I would actually go with My Dinner with Andre, even though I would put Major League on. Yeah, because, I mean, that's just I mean,
0: that's just nonsensical.
1: Yeah, you got to put my dinner with Andre over Major League. All right, there we are. One fourteen.
0: One fourteen. Really?
1: Yeah. Out of one thirty-two.
0: All right. All right. All right. <laughs> What's it between?
1: It is between the day of the locust and Major oh, League. Oh,
0: I, I probably could have predicted that. <laughs> yeah. I do. I, you know, I know a little thing or two about complex mathematics. You're, you're good at that. <laughs> uh, hey, uh, this was great. Now, uh, I, I where do we go from here? Continuing we, our 1981 saga.
1: Yeah, we're going to continue, uh, do a little uh, De Palma action. We're going to check out Blowout. Oh, dear. <laughs>
0: It's been a long time since I've seen this. I did not remember it as being a 1981 film. In fact, it very much speaks as a 1970s film to me. And it's De Palma. I am nervous.
1: I really remember liking this film. So I'm excited to see it again. I haven't seen it that recently either. And so uh, I'm I'm pretty excited to see it. Because I I think it was good. And this is on our, or, or should be, on our uh, Chappaquiddick list. <laughs> that's so true. Oh, we got to publish that list, the
0: Chappaquiddick list. Excellent. I think
1: it's up there. That one's up there. Oh, it is already? Good. Well, we got to get that on there. Uh, there's not a lot of films on it, but...
0: <laughs> oh, that's too funny. Okay. Well, this uh, this is going to be... It's going to be a good uh, film. There's a little John Travolta, little Nancy Allen, little John Lithgow, and uh, that's what we're hitting uh, next week.
1: Absolutely. Hey, Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. I think I'm going to go have some dessert now.
0: (laughs) You deserve it. I'm going to go to bed. my dinner with Amazon. So. <laughs> How'd you do this week?
1: Uh, you know, I, I, I looked at the three star reviews and, uh, you know, Richard Alexander green said two hours of intellectual bull. <laughs> I enjoyed listening, but mostly because I was waiting for something interesting to be said. The part I liked best was the comparison of NYC to a concentration camp designed and run by the inmates. It might help to be smoking something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got one. All right. Um, <sighs> turning it off. This is from Jack. He gives it a two-star review. It's a little bit longer. He says, turning it off 30 minutes in may not mean I would have still thought it sucked an hour in. I mean, there's always a chance I could have had buy-in at thirty min- 31 minutes in. Nah. I rented this movie as an homage to Roger Ebert, who put it at his top 10 all-time movies. I remember wading through Hess's Steppenwolf in the late 60s as an homage to a comely hippie chick. I think I'm through with homages. They're post-important and less gratifying to either party. (laughs) (laughs) A comely hippie chick. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Good times, Amazon. I love you.
1: Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better.
0: After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us.
1: If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world,